President Mike Pence making history in Wisconsin today as the first sitting VP to ever step inside the state capitol. Pence attended a rally with about a thousand supporters of the school choice program. The VP made sure to point out who wasn't in the crowd. In fact, I learned on the way here that there's a bill being introduced in the Wisconsin legislature that would actually phase out school choice in this state. Well, I, I know the governor couldn't be with us here today, so let's make sure he hears us. We're not going to let that happen. Wisconsin, for our kids, for our families, for our future, school choice is here to stay. A historic visit to the state capitol today. Vice President Mike Pence became the first sitting vice president to enter the capitol rotunda. Vice President Pence visited Madison earlier today to celebrate Wisconsin's school choice program. And while Wisconsin has fought for years to expand school choice, we haven't always had such a willing partner at the federal level. But thanks to President Trump, Vice President Pence, and Secretary DeVos, who's here, that has all changed. Every single Republican representing Wisconsin in Washington, D.C. supports school choice. I'm here to tell you, President Donald Trump stands for school choice for every American and every American family. On Tuesday, January 28, 2020, over a thousand parents, teachers, and students gathered in Wisconsin State Capitol to honor the 30 years of success of the state school choice programs. I'm incredibly proud that No Better Friend Corps was a key part of organizing this event with our partners, each a fierce defender of school choice programs, students, and their families. Those partners included Hispanics for School Choice, Wisconsin School Choice, Wisconsin Federation for Children, the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty, and Americans for Prosperity. At the end of the day, this was a celebration of all the lives that have been and are being improved by Wisconsin's school choice programs. These programs extend the opportunity to receive a quality education to all students, no matter their income or their zip code. Why was this commemoration so important? That story lies with the students and the families who have benefited from school choice programs in Wisconsin. However, the 30th anniversary of Wisconsin School Choice and this celebration also revealed the less glamorous side of school choice, the internal policy arguments and the political debates that have been shadowing the success of school choice and this movement since their inception. I'm Kevin Nicholson, President and CEO of No Better Friend Corp. Over the previous episodes of season one of our podcast, we've taken you on visits to outstanding and innovative Wisconsin schools and introduce you to amazing students, families, educators, and experts. As we currently face down a pandemic that is forcing our society to take a long, hard look at education and how knowledge can be most effectively transferred to children, I hope that this podcast has inspired you and given you hope for the future. I personally know that these are the type of students, families, and schools who will innovate, adapt, and work through our current and our future challenges. Today, in our final episode of season one, we're diving into the politics behind the life-changing school choice programs and education revolution that Wisconsin has led for the last 30 years. We'll review the obstacles and the opportunities and talk about the path forward. This is the Right Idea Podcast. Polling consistently shows that most Democrat and Republican voters support school choice in Wisconsin even though many Democrat lawmakers oppose it. But there are exceptions, and some notable Wisconsin Democrat legislators do support school choice, including Senator Lena Taylor, who recently ran for mayor of Milwaukee, and State Representative Jason Fields. Libby Sobic, Director and Legal Counsel of Education Policy at the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty, describes how the school choice movement continues to gain support, despite what we see on the political stage. I do think that there's an opportunity to really focus on um, communities and individuals that have incredibly strong voices. The first example would be our parents. 
the so let me get let me drill down on that for you. So the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty did a poll this year in 2019 of registered voters, and we asked, you know, do you support school choice? We found that school choice was supported specifically um, by a lot is by millennials, Hispanic, and African American registered voters. That's a huge population of individuals that we in the school choice movement should be helping and arming with talking points to get out there and tell their stories. If that's the case, it begs the question, what makes school choice so political? So I'm gonna kind of start from where we were to where we are today, because I think that kind of helps answer the question. Um, so Governor Tommy Thompson and Representative Polly Olson here in, from Milwaukee really came together in a bipartisan manner to create the first modern voucher program in Milwaukee for economically disadvantaged students. It was passed and it went into effect in 1990 with about 300, 350 students in about seven schools. Immediately it was challenged in court. And in fact, over the next 10 years, from 1990 to 2000, it was challenged to the, it was taken to the Supreme Court twice. And they were successful both times. But I think it's important to remember that school choice has always been a fight. That these special interests and these barriers to changing education and really changing the way we think about what traditional education looks like, there's huge barriers to changing that and they're effective. And not only do they have good persuasive messaging, but they also run into court and really stall these programs. Thankfully, the Wisconsin legislature stood strong and has continued to push these programs to be bigger, to be better, to serve more students, regardless of these fights in courts. And we won at the end of the day. 30 years later, we have 40,000 students in these programs. And so it's worth the fight, but it's always been a fight. Jim Bender, president of School Choice Wisconsin, explains the misleading and ineffective arguments politicians have over education, particularly when it comes to funding. It's very difficult to have public discussions about education funding because that knowledge just isn't there. Now, that's not necessarily the fault of the end user because the way that the media talk about it and the way that even politicians talk about it, it gets put into a perspective that is just nonsensical. We had an election with an incumbent, Governor Walker, who was clearly more involved in education policy than, say, a Governor Doyle was before him. He was much more where Tommy Thompson, you know, we'll call him now the grandfather of the school choice movement from an from a elected official standpoint here in Wisconsin, and where Governor Evers was coming out of being the superintendent of public instruction, the conversation that was had around education was really just about education funding. And then it was just around who could spend more than the other guy. And all they did was talk about how many more hundreds of millions of dollars they were gonna spend on public education in Wisconsin from one year to the next. Well, when it comes down to what's actually happening in education, that's literally an irrelevant fact about what is actually happening in education in Wisconsin, right? So you have multiple sources of funding, some of which are impacted by the state budget, some of which are not, uh, some of which local districts have control over, a lot of which they don't. Um, and so the complexities of this and allowing flexibility within that system it's a conversation that is just not had at a level that's going to impact anything. Much like we talked about before, the, the last election cycle that included an education debate was based on how much more money you could dedicate to it and what's going to work. And that isn't the conversation we should be having. One, I don't think it moves people. I actually think it's a completely misguided political tactic. I don't think it brings anybody new to the table. I don't think it moves anybody off their existing beliefs about what it is. I don't think it does. Jim Bender further explains why public education becomes intrinsically linked to politics and why school choice is such an important option for parents. Political conversation, I don't think is effective. I don't think it helps parents. I don't think it helps kids. I don't think it helps educators. I think, in fact, it prohibits its taking oxygen out of the room and the conversation from what we should be talking about, which is how do we get on all levels, in all sectors, the ability for parents to have more control? It gets back to why is this political? We talked briefly about it before. 
it comes down to your ideological perspective. Is the public funding of education inherently seen as an extension of government? Or is it inherently seen as an extension of parenting? My own view is that regardless of the delivery model, public school, private school, charter school, home school, virtual school, whatever it might be, the public funding of education should be based on an extension of parenting. There are many people, and this is where it maybe ties in a little bit to politics, there are many people that have an ideological vision of this, that the public funding of education is directly tied to a delivery system, which is the public education system, which is in turn, as they view it, an extension of government, which Unfortunately, now government has been deemed kind of tied to a particular political party, right? So you get this very narrow view of what public education is, which is why you get comments like, well, public funding should only go to public schools, right? That's the argument that you'll hear, which isn't really an argument. It's more just that's an ideology. There's nothing about it because public dollars are taxpayer dollars and everybody that resides in Wisconsin pays into the system. So there's no exclusivity because public dollars go to private entities all the time, all the time, except for prisons and public schools from a state level, federally the, the post office and I guess DMVs, but most of the private dollars and public dollars actually end up in private, you know, look, look at the road system, look at hospitals, look at everything else. There's an awful lot of money that ends up with private entities delivering a mechanism. Private schools can be a perfectly solid delivery mechanism for public education, as can public schools. But there's no exclusivity to dollars. There isn't such a thing as a public dollar. It's our dollars. Delivery mechanism is separate. But it depends on your ideology. We actually try to push the politics as far off the table as possible. Corey DeAngelis is an adjunct scholar at the Cato Institute and the director of school choice for the Reason Foundation. He further elaborates on Jim Bender's point that typically tax dollars fund individuals not organizations. So it follows that taxpayer dollars should follow students, not school districts. I mean, the reality, I just want to say again, is that, you know, government schools drain money from families. School choice just gives, puts the money back into the hands of the rightful owners of that money. It, the money's for the students. It's, we, we should be funding students and not systems. I mean, if we look at any other type of government program that funds individuals, it, it funds individuals. It doesn't fund the institution. So like with food stamps, for example, we would all think it's, it would be ridiculous if the food stamps went to a residentially assigned government grocery store. It would be totally ridiculous to not allow families to just be able to pick a private grocery store with their food stamps. So similarly, it's totally ridiculous that the money goes straight to schools. It should, the money should go to families. And fa if families want to pick government schools, that's fine with me. It should be fine with anybody else in the movement as well. Uh, but the thing is, and, and again, related to that, if the government schools are actually doing a good job, they won't lose mon any money whatsoever because no one will leave when given the option to leave them. Um, so if, if any money is being lost from, from the government schools at all, the government schools should look at themselves and wonder why students don't want to go to their schools. And, you know, that, 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 sh that should be the real thing that, that we should talk about. But the reality is that as long as teachers' unions are threatened by the existence of non-unionized teaching jobs and school choice programs, and as long as those same unions donate heavily to Democratic campaigns, and they do, many Democrat politicians will continue to work directly against the interests of their constituents by fighting the existence of the very schools that do the best job of empowering their constituents' children. The politics surrounding school choice are complicated. You have actors like the Wisconsin Department of Public Instruction, local public school districts, and our current so-called education governor, Tony Evers, who feel opposition to school choice programs throughout Wisconsin. More than 86,000 students in Wisconsin attend a private school or a voucher or public charter school. As long as Republicans control the legislature, we plan to keep it that way. We, we were able to end the yearly battles with the Democrats over who could use school choice by expanding it statewide. Whether or not you receive a quality education should not depend on your zip code. Thank you. Look.
Students in our program are more likely to graduate from high school and also from college. That means that they're one step closer to achieving the American dream. New at six, get ready for a big battle over state funding for public schools versus private schools. Governor Ever, Evers wants to cap enrollment at voucher schools. Today, thousands of students attend a charter or voucher school and more keep applying each year. Governor Evers, who didn't attend the event, proposed freezing or rolling back enrollment for the voucher program in his state budget, but the idea was removed by Republicans. So additionally, the people of Wisconsin have asked us to fully fund our public schools. More. It is disappointing to see Governor Evers and the Democrats in the legislature push back on those platforms of success for their own constituents. So what we as conservatives will do is continue to fight for these kids, fight for their opportunities, and make sure that they have these platforms to launch their life and be successful going forward. Of the schools that serve 80% students of color, there are 21 five-star schools in the city of Milwaukee. Of those 21 schools, 14 are in the private school voucher program, five are independent charter schools, and two are in MPS. So that means of the schools that predominantly serve children of color in Milwaukee, more than 80% of their population, 90% of them are in choice in charter schools. We had a bill introduced today that would literally close all of those schools. And so what we need to do is leave the program behind that has left too many kids behind and end the voucher program and reinvest those funds in our public schools. But you have a white representative trying to close those schools and shutting off opportunity for those children of color? History repeats itself. We shouldn't be dumb enough to fall into such a political stunt. School choice programs in Wisconsin actually started off as a bipartisan effort. Republican Governor Tommy Thompson and Democrat State Representative Annette Polly Williams spearheaded the movement in 1990. However, over time, the issue became increasingly partisan and political. The same day as our National School Choice Week 30th anniversary celebration in Wisconsin, Democratic lawmakers got together and proposed a bill that would have ended the school choice programs in Wisconsin. Wisconsin's so-called education governor, Tony Evers, a Democrat, refused to greet the Vice President of the United States during his official trip to Wisconsin and refused to acknowledge the celebration taking place in the state capitol rotunda just outside his own office. Before becoming governor, Tony Evers' last job was serving as the head of Wisconsin's Department of Public Instruction. In his first budget proposal, he unsuccessfully set out to freeze enrollment and suspend expansion of school choice in our state. Libby Sobic from the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty explains that Governor Evers and Democrat state legislators are now preventing the further expansion of school choice programs. But the unfortunate reality is we aren't making progress in our state, our state uh, school choice programs, and that has a lot to do with our leadership right now. Governor Tony Evers is not interested in supporting these programs. In fact, in his budget, his first budget as governor, he tried to freeze and end some of these programs where you compare that to a, a state like Florida with Governor DeSantis, where he has expanded school choice programs. They now serve over 200,000 students across the state of Florida with five different school choice programs as well as public charter schools. Governor DeSantis has expanded those programs and here in Wisconsin, Governor Evers is trying to end them. And that's a huge barrier for our future of school choice in Wisconsin. Unfortunate reality is that Governor Evers is looking to undo most of that. In his most recent budget, he wanted to end the special needs scholarship program, prevent any future kids from participating. He also wanted to freeze our voucher programs in Milwaukee, Racine, and statewide to make it really difficult for these programs to continue to stay alive because he would freeze it at a certain number and just make it difficult for private schools and parents to access these programs. He also wanted to create an additional amount of red tape around schools and teachers who would participate in the private school programs, knowing that these would be backdoor ways to really prevent these programs from flourishing. He had an all-out attack on school choice, and we're so grateful for the Wisconsin legislature and the Republicans in leadership who really stopped that from going into effect. Immediately following the celebration of the 30th anniversary of Wisconsin school choice, a Democrat lawmaker, 
Representative Jonathan Brostoff introduced a bill that would have ended school choice entirely in Wisconsin. He held a press conference while the students of the choice programs were still in the state capitol, fresh from celebrating their educational success. Throughout the grandstanding of this press conference, Brostoff and other Democrats highlighted a number of myths about school choice programs in an effort to undercut them. Sadly, in Wisconsin, there has been a decades-long sustained attack on public education by puppet politicians who are happy to take money from their huge donors and sell out the educational future of Wisconsinites, and that is a very dangerous path to go down. The voucher schools uh, have been a huge drain. Uh, even over the last couple of years, we've seen over $650 million be drained out of public education, be siphoned away. That claim is straight-up false. That is by far one of the most popular misconceptions about school choice. Brenda White from Siena Catholic Schools and Kim Disitel from Grace Catholic Schools, both representing schools that participate in Wisconsin school choice programs, discuss the most popular school choice myth, that school choice takes money away from public schools. Well, I think one big misperception about the program is that it costs taxpayer money when in fact it has saved the state of Wisconsin taxpayers billions of dollars. And it's such a huge misconception. Um, you know, we educate children for a lot less money. And so every time a child comes to us from the public school, every child, that's a savings of thousands of dollars. So that's just such a basic misperception. You know, the program was designed to give parents a choice and one of the benefits, and it does that. And I believe the program was designed to create, you know, positive pressure for educational systems to improve. And I believe it has done that. And I believe that it has in fact shown that giving parents the right to choose is a good thing because the numbers speak for themselves. The program has grown and grown and grown over almost 30 years now. And so the fact that parent demand for the program is there and growing shows you that parents value the program. And taxpayers should be happy about that because it is good for the state of Wisconsin. It's good for taxpayers. So it's good for families. It's good for our students but it's good for the state of Wisconsin. It's good for taxpayers. I think the fact that um, the fallacy in regards to choice that it is costing our taxpayers in the state of Wisconsin millions and millions and millions of dollars is truly a fallacy. Um, number one, what it's doing is it's investing in children. These are dollars that you and I have paid in our taxes to help initiate high quality education in the state of Wisconsin. Um, if I'm a family member and I choose to send my child to school in a private school, there's no reason why the tax dollars that I pay for my household should not be following that child into the school of their choice as a whole. Um, so I do think that there's a lot of fallacy out there in regards to the cost of choice. Um, but we have to change that mindset and we have to help others understand this is actually, rather than a dollar sign on a child, this is an investment in their education as they go forward as well, too. Wisconsin State Representative Jeremy Thiesfeld is chair of the Wisconsin State Assembly's Education Committee. He raises a point that is important to underscore. Not only does it cost the state less to educate a student receiving a voucher than it costs to educate a traditional public school student, but public school districts have the ability to raise revenue by increasing in local property taxes whereas private and charter schools do not. The truth of the matter is, is that uh, a, a voucher, so to say, is significantly less amount of money than what it costs for a child to go to a public school. Uh, I, I know this for a fact because I taught in these schools. Uh, I, I know what it costs to send my kids to the schools. I never had a voucher. Uh, we, we paid for it all out of our pocket and I have no regrets in doing that, but I also know that not everybody has the opportunity to be able to do that. Uh, and so it, it really is a good deal for the taxpayers. You know, the, the more kids we can get in a school that uh, costs the taxpayers, say, 
$9,000 than a school that costs taxpayers, say, you know, somewhere in there at twelve dollars to $15,000. Well, that certainly sounds like a good deal to the taxpayers to me, and it's an even better deal if the statistics hold true, which I believe they are, they're getting a better education in those schools. Uh, and so why would we not want more kids to be in those schools? Um, and you know, th this idea that it's taking money away from the public schools, it is not, because they are able to raise uh, their revenue limit uh, in order to match the money that's going out uh, to these students. And, and that really is a good deal for the public schools because some of these kids, we're not likely to go there anyway. And so they're getting money for these kids that we're never gonna even go to the public school. The research shows that school choice programs are able to educate children for far less cost than traditional public schools. The Milwaukee Journal Sentinel reported that in 2019, Wisconsin public school districts received between $11,180 and $22,000 per student per year. In Milwaukee public schools, the district on average receives $15,250 per student annually. Whereas a school choice voucher provides $8,046 for a K-8 student per year and $8,692 per high school student per year. Where is that extra funding in public schools going? Jim Bender of School Choice Wisconsin explains. What's going to be even more shocking is when they correlate that with the report that comes out every year about how many high school graduates need remedial ed for math and reading in college when they get there. And then they'll go back and they'll look at how much they're spending per child in high school. And that's the discussion that we should be having. Because what you then need to be having is, okay, you're spending $16,000, but how are you spending that money in that high school? We, as a, as a public and public policy folks, there is not a vibrant discussion around any of those things right now. Because the discussion around funding is, give us more money or you're a bad person. That's the public debate, that's the political debate, that's, and, and no political party is immune from that, right? I mean, the last five years in Wisconsin, it's been, look how much money we've spent on education, therefore we're good people, you should reelect us. That's the discussion. And I suppose there's a role for that at some point in time. But it really, when you're on that simple a discussion over a topic that's that complex, you're really missing an awful lot of what we should actually be talking about when it comes to how are we allocating our resources and what is the best allocation of those resources, what's getting the best results. We're not even anywhere near having that discussion. And that's unfortunate because that's where we should be having the discussion. How much in total do Wisconsin school choice programs save taxpayers? Jason Bedrick, Director of Policy at EdChoice, explains just how much money the state of Wisconsin would lose if the Democrat legislators successfully abolished school choice programs. Wisconsin right now has uh, a bill in its legislature to repeal uh, the state's voucher programs. And this would be absolutely disastrous, not only for the families who depend on these school vouchers to get access to an education that works best for their kids, but this would actually be disastrous for the public school system as well and for uh, you know, the state revenue generally. Uh, right now, we are in the midst of a, a global pandemic. Uh, this is uh, straining our state coffers in numerous different ways, not the least of which is uh, all the families that are uh, unemployed, out of work, looking for unemployment benefits, uh, the massive reduction in state revenue that's coming in. And uh, in Wisconsin, if you were to, uh, to repeal these programs uh, and all of those students would then go to the public schools, uh, it would cost uh, over $191 million for the state. That is money that the state simply doesn't have. Uh, right now, these students are receiving far less money per pupil to uh, get a quality education than they would be if they were uh, not using the voucher program and, and going to the district school. So this would be a massive financial strain on uh, the public school system and on state coffers. Heather Dubois-Bornan of the Wisconsin Public Education Network and State Senator Chris Larson in Milwaukee highlighted another popular misconception about school choice when they spoke at the press conference announcing legislation to eliminate funding 
for school choice in Wisconsin. We also know that these voucher schools simply play by a different set of rules than public schools. They do not have to follow the laws protecting our students with disabilities, our most vulnerable students, nor do they have to provide services to those students. And then they broke the lid on that and uh, continued forward and said, well, we're going to have better outcomes, right? Uh, and it became clear that they were not interested in benefiting all kids, that it was just some kids. They are picking and choosing. Uh, which students they decide to educate. Distorting the data on their performance, legally discriminating against our kids. This is an outright lie by politicians bought and paid for by teachers unions. The idea that voucher schools cherry pick their students, that they only pick the best students, and that they don't serve students with disabilities was thoroughly debunked by Marcio Sierra, a pastor from Lighthouse Christian School in Madison. Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of the um, um, criticism of school choice or schools that, you know, receive the voucher is that uh, special needs students, for example, that we don't, we don't do that. We had, like, all kinds of special needs students before we even, you know, went into the voucher, you know. So we were already do going above and beyond without the finances to, to receive everyone. Um, so, so, so that's a misconception, and actually, right now that the uh, re uh, school report uh, report card came out, uh, our percentage of uh, students with disabilities is actually higher than um, the public schools, you know, overall, in average. So that's one uh, misconception. Tia Sierra, principal at Lighthouse, explains that their school accepts all students. Yeah, just and just that we take all kids. In general, I think there, the huge misconception is that we get to pick who comes, and we don't pick who we comes. Don't, we, you know, don't we don't even know. <laughs> the you know DPI does the selection for us, and we don't we don't have uh, a say over that. And and it, in fact, it's not our philosophy. We we want every student to succeed here, no matter what their background is or their abilities. And so, there may be schools that have stricter um, requirements for students but we don't and I think that's one thing at least here in Madison that's the message is that we take in the kids that we want we take in the privileged kids we don't take in the special needs kids and that's just not true at all yeah. but also about 80% of our kids are um, students that receive um, the voucher uh, and since the majority of our kids are also free or reduced lunch they qualify for free or reduced reduced lunch we are now um, a community school, which means that 100% of our students now are free and reduced lunch. Mm -hmm. so, so these are the families that, that we are serving, you know, mostly Hispanic and African-American families. Um, uh, low income, I call them low income, hardworking families. Um, lots of, you know, single fa uh, parent homes. Mm -hmm. um, but these are wonderful fam families, you know, that maybe the system hasn't really um, helped them in many areas, but, you know, we're excited how these families are succeeding and and getting ahead, the children are getting ahead. Chris Lawrence, a parent who utilizes school choice programs to have his children attend St. Marcus Lutheran School in Milwaukee, discusses the absurdity of the claim that schools attended by voucher recipients get to pick their students. The biggest, I guess the biggest misconception is that we pick our students. It just couldn't be further from the truth. They say a lot of naysayers, people who don't, don't like school choice oppose say, you know, the schools pick their pick particular students and that's how they're able to boost, you know, the quality of education. Because if you look at most of the studies on school choice, it does show on average, and frankly, most all, just about all the studies that came out comparing public to private or, you know, or charter and choice to, you know, public, that there's, a, there's higher test scores, higher reading levels, higher math levels uh, in choice schools and choice and charter. One of the biggest misconceptions is that we pick our students. So we're pick, particularly picking good students. Now, I just know it's just false as it comes. It's just, you know, it's just wrong. I mean, when, when I saw, enrolled, as I told you, when I enrolled my daughter, I just found St. Marcus. And I just fill out the application. St. Marcus didn't find me and pick me, um, my particular daughters. They, you know, they never picked us. We found them. And like I said, we go through a lottery system. A hundred, If there's 80 seats, 100 people apply, everybody's put into a lottery. No one, they can't pick a particular student. They're, I guess they're trying to say we're, part, we're just picking particular students who are smarter or who have less behavioral issues. And it's not necessarily true. When I enrolled... They had no idea what type of behavioral problems my daughter had 
my son had, they had no idea. And I, you know, when I enrolled them in the school, um, they just went through the, the um, same same system everybody else goes into, and they're picked. I accept the I accept the choice. I accept their offer, and that's how it works. But that's the biggest misconception. Really, a lot like I said, we're an 80-80 school. Eighty percent of our people come from very low socioeconomic status. Eighty percent minority, and so you're dealing with a population that's already you know don't have all the resources that you would see in like in a suburban neighborhood or suburban schools or suburban communities. And so, but St. Marcus does a very good job of preparing um, a lot of these students for, um, you know, giving us a high quality education that you would get in some of these areas that's more, that's probably more affluent. No, they don't pick their particular students. It's not, they're not being, you know, picking favorites. They do have a strict disciplinary policy. Obviously, if you're not behaving properly in school, yeah, you're not, you know, you can be kicked out. Um, if you're not performing academically well and things are not working out, obviously it's probably sometimes best just to part ways. But that's the biggest misconception I've always hear is that we pick our students. And that just sounds silly to me because I've been through the system. I know they're not picking particular students. They're not recruiting students. They're, they're just trying to find, you know, people just enroll. And I don't think they do much advertising because they have such, you know, high recognition and word of mouth. Um, people just generally apply. While many of the voucher programs in Wisconsin, especially in Milwaukee and Racine, benefit low-income and minority students, Kim Desitel and Edgar Zaragoza from Grace Catholic Schools in Green Bay explain that the Choice Program helps people of all backgrounds. There's a lot of fallacies that are out there in regards to Choice Children. You know, one of the fallacies is that they're all diverse or minority, and that's just not accurate. Uh, there's fallacy out there in regards to children who receive a Choice Voucher struggle academically. That is unequivocally not true. Um, we see choice children all the time, every single day, uh, get A's and B's, uh, are on the honor roll, um, receiving accolades from their teachers, doing very well in our schools. Um, really what children need is children need someone to believe in them. And that is a, that is a bigger um, part of the impact of children's success than how they actually got from the home environment to the school and the logistics of what brought them in our doors as well too. And we work really hard to push away some of those labels, those categories that put children in you know, boxes or corners that are going to inhibit or limit the way in which um, they can really succeed in our schools as well. I'm really proud of our teachers in the way that they bring out the best in every single child. Um, if they need more or they need different, our teachers are finding a way to give that to them as well too. The program wasn't the choice program wasn't created just for minorities or Hispanics or it was meant for anyone that is looking for an opportunity to send their children to, to receive a better education if that's what they're looking for. Other school choice critics argue that the program increases racial segregation. Corey DeAngelis of the Cato Institute and the Reason Foundation highlights the research and data that proves otherwise. Yeah, I mean, this claim is absolutely bogus when you look at the scientific evidence and what actually happens because um, there's about eight or nine studies that look at the effects of private school choice programs on racial integration. And all but one of these studies, I think eight, or, eight out of nine or seven out of eight, find on net private school choice leads to racial integration. And none of the studies finds, find that there is a negative effect on racial integration overall. So the, the evidence is overwhelmingly positive on racial integration. And the reason for this is pretty simple. It's because government-run schools are already racially segregated um, because government-run school enrollments are determined based on residents. They're residentially, students are residentially assigned to government-run schools, and since neighborhoods tend to be um, racially segregated and, and because of redlining practices in the past in the United States, this leads to racially segregated schools. So when you allow students to escape their racially segregated or even income segregated schools in the United States, it actually leads to more integration. People, Some people will take this argument even further and they'll say that charter schools segregate um, and, and the reason that they'll say this is because uh, charter schools in some areas tend to have a high proportion of students of color and 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 
the argument is that if you're serving a lot of uh, minority students, then you're racially segregating. But that makes no sense at all because these same people wouldn't call historically black colleges and universities, HBCUs, they wouldn't call those racially segregated because the moves are voluntary, right? Even if you do have a high proportion of, of minority students in your schools, that, that's not the same thing as segregation. And we should not uh, equate the two because the moves are voluntary. Libby Silvic from the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty emphasizes that school choice programs also help rural Wisconsin communities. I think the biggest misconception on school choice is the idea that it's for a certain, certain group of people or a certain community of people and it's not for everybody. And I think that's a huge misconception that we should, that we should try to fix. You know, our voucher program started in Milwaukee because economically disadvantaged primarily minority students were stuck in failing schools. And that is good policy to give those students access to high quality schools. But in today's Wisconsin, we have those same problems in rural Wisconsin, where we have communities that are slowly declining and losing more and more people stuck in where the public school system is the one of the only really government and consistent entities in the community, but it's hard to get teachers to move to Peshtigo, Wisconsin, rural communities like I'm from. And so I think that we need to really work on the misconception that school choice isn't for everybody, that if you're in rural Wisconsin, there are still options for you, and it doesn't require you to move to a different community. If you're in urban Milwaukee, you also have a lot of options. And if you're in suburban, if you're in suburban uh, Wisconsin, and you're really happy with your traditional public school, but you want your kid to access a few more classes or get dual credit in college, we have programs for that too. We have a lot of really great infrastructure of school choice in Wisconsin, but the partisanship that we are now living in has sort of hidden some of those programs, and it hasn't really helped with the messaging that school choice is for everyone, and it should be for everyone. Said we're going to build, uh, we're going to be better. And once the test scores came out, it showed that they were no better. This is unethical. It's not good for kids, and we all know that it's morally wrong. Shannon Whitworth of Milwaukee Lutheran High School, one of many teachers committed to educating the next generation and thereby changing the future of cities like Milwaukee, has an understandably strong reaction to the charges leveled by Senator Chris Larson and Heather Dubois Bornan. You know, this was the week that, you know, somebody in our Wisconsin legislature said that the school choice program was immoral and a, and, and a, a failed experiment. These kids were singing a song. Nobody told them to do this. Most of them stood up and started singing along and dancing to the song, a gospel song that we sing here every now and again. It was completely organic. We didn't tell any of these kids to do it, but you know what? It was... It was a, an inspiring moment. These kids could see that they had an opportunity to let the air out of the balloon and, you know, be able to relax in a safe, protected environment, and they were able to do it through worship. And that was something that was really special. You can't tell me that that was a failure. Um, you can't tell me that that's morally wrong. Um, you know, we can get into a little bit later about what I think is morally wrong uh, about the schooling situation here in Milwaukee. But, um, you know, it really is inspiring. That's why I feel like I'm, I'm more blessed to be here than, than anyone here is to have me. Um, it really has refocused me. It's re-energized me. Um, there's just so much going on here that there's so many good things. Shannon Whitworth teaches in the Free Enterprise Academy at Milwaukee Lutheran High School, where, as part of his curriculum, he helps to ensure that high school students graduate with strong financial literacy. Beyond the classroom, the teachers at Milwaukee Lutheran High School help to outfit graduating seniors with professional business attire for college and job interviews after graduation, along with teaching students practical skills ranging from networking to welding to graphic design, along with teaching students how to properly manage their money. Shannon's disagreement with State Senator Larson and Heather Dubois-Bornane is justified given that schools that participate in school choice programs are driving better results than their traditional public school counterparts. Libby Sobic from the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty explains further. So when we look at the most recent test uh, uh, 
report card scores, so that was for, they were just released this year. Um, we found that schools, uh, students in the Milwaukee Parental Choice Program, so in private schools on the voucher program in Milwaukee, students were more likely to perform 4% higher in math and 6% higher in reading. And that is massively important because when you compare that to the nation's report card, we do this thing called NAEP scores every, every few years, and it looks at all schools across the country. Our NAEP scores for 2019 found that the United States students are well behind in reading and they're stagnant in math. And so our students on the national level aren't, like, aren't learning reading and math in the way they should. And yet here in Milwaukee, some of our most vulnerable communities are using school choice to get a great education that's actually showing improvement in the classroom. It's true. The schools participating in school choice programs have overwhelmingly better graduation rates and higher test scores than their traditional public school counterparts. Don't believe it? Think this is all political spin? Then I encourage you to listen to the previous episodes of this podcast highlighting school choice schools from across Wisconsin. The results are dramatic and they're life-changing for families who choose to participate in school choice programs. St. Catharines High School, part of Siena Catholic Schools in Racine, has a 100% graduation rate. At Crystal Ray Jesuit High School in Milwaukee, the 2019 graduating class saw every single graduate receive acceptance letters to at least two four-year colleges. In Madison, the report card for Lighthouse Christian Schools showed that students significantly exceeded expectations. And when you look at the demographics of each of the schools that we visited during season one of our podcast, Siena Catholic Schools, Grace Catholic Schools, Milwaukee Lutheran High School, Lighthouse Christian School, Crystal Ray Jesuit High School in Milwaukee, and many more throughout Wisconsin, most of the students are able to attend these schools through a voucher. And most of these students are economically disadvantaged and looking for opportunities. And the results don't lie. These schools that participate in school choice programs are outperforming their traditional public school counterparts academically. Take Milwaukee, for example. Milwaukee Public Schools, or MPS, has an overall accountability score of 58%. According to their state-issued report card, MPS meets few expectations. MPS also has an extremely low achievement score and a graduation rate of 67%. Whereas Crystal Ray Jesuit High School, geographically located right within MPS's boundaries, has an accountability score of 72%. According to their state-issued report card, they meet expectations, and almost all their senior class graduated in the 2018-19 school year. I don't need to tell you that MPS's graduation rate of 67% is unacceptable. Milwaukee Public Schools, the school district that receives far and away the most state funding, is failing far too many students. Policymakers and politicians are failing our children and the Milwaukee community. The results don't lie. And neither do the powerful stories of school choice. You can't deny the success of school choice programs. However, Jason Bedrick of EdChoice does warn against relying too strongly on test scores to prove the success of the school choice movement. So standardized testing is it's a very important tool but like any tool, it can be misused. And sometimes when the only tool you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Uh, so I think it's important that, um, that standardized tests are used properly. And that is to inform, particularly to inform parents and also to inform education providers about how a particular child is doing, how the school or particular teachers are doing. Uh, the problem is that when you have one particular type of test and you mandate that for all schools and then you start attaching carrots and sticks, what you end up doing is distorting the value of the measure and changing the way that the system responds in ways that can be quite negative. Uh, so for example, it's, it's a lot easier to do a standardized test for math and for English language arts than it is for things like art, science, history, and what have you. Uh, and especially for history and art, uh, sorry, especially for history and science, because uh, they're, they're, you don't want to impose a curriculum. And for things like art as well, because it's, it's a lot harder to have objective measures. Uh, so with math and reading, these are more skill-based, and so we tend to 
have tests in those areas. The problem is we use those two areas as a proxy for everything that goes on in the school. Uh, and if you are going to attach incentives, rewards and punishments to those tests, uh, schools tend to start spending more time on the tested subjects than the non-tested subjects. That means that math and English language arts start to crowd out history, art, science, and physical ed, and recess, and all these other things that, that are part of a holistic education. And even within those subjects, it can distort how those subjects are taught. They will start testing, they will start teaching the material that's tested at the expense of material that is not tested. They will teach te uh, the subject a certain way that's going to maximize the, the probability children will do well on, on this test, as opposed to teaching it the way they think is best long-term for those students to understand the material. Uh, so we like to have a menu of nationally normed reference tests. Uh, that way, uh, families, uh, sorry, uh, schools can choose the test that best aligns to what they're already teaching, as opposed to having one particular test imposed on them and then changing what and how they teach to meet that test. Uh, likewise, the nationally norm reference test should be used to inform families and their decisions. Because families are looking at a wide variety of, uh, of things. Only one of them is test scores. They're also looking at, you know, is the school communicating with me? Is my child like going to school in the morning, right? Does it, does it appear that they're thriving or not? Are they being bullied? Uh, is the school responsive when uh, there are issues with my child that I raise, right? Uh, test scores are very, very important, but they're not the only important thing, and they may not even be the most important thing. Uh, so we really want to avoid having a system that relies almost exclusively on tests uh, to reward and punish schools. It's, a, it's, a, it's taking a good measure and misusing it and hurting the system. Ron Kelly, another parent whose children attend St. Marcus Lutheran School in Milwaukee through Wisconsin School Choice Program, says that schools like St. Marcus have a no-excuses discipline and academic policy to push students to their highest standard. Milwaukee Public Schools should take note. Now, I'm, like I said, I'm not really into politics. If someone is sending their kid elsewhere, not to your school, but to another school, if I was someone who ran the school, I wouldn't be concerned about what I'm missing out on. I would be more concerned with why are they choosing that school over my school? And I would try to figure out whatever it is that these families are seeing in other schools. Let me try to get my school to that in hopes to draw families and kids back to my school. I'm not, you know, counting money at that point. I want to see what I'm doing wrong, try to correct it, try to build on it, and grow. So my thing with, like, if that is something that is going around, MPS is losing money, and they're not able to retain teachers, and they're not able to pay people, good wages and salaries will address that versus saying, well, this, when your kid goes to this other school, it hurts us. That is not really what's hurting you because if you had a, a school operating at a high level, we wouldn't even be discussing it. You will have the same amount of students, if not more, at your school as the schools surrounding you, whether they accept the choice or not, pu public or private. It's all about the performance of the school and the performance of the staff at the school. Those where you want to focus your efforts on, not trying to tell people what direction they should take as far as educating their family. With the Milwaukee public schools may be doing, uh, they're coming up with excuses. St. Marcus, no excuses. Ultimately, it's unfortunate that opponents of school choice work to portray choice schools and public schools as bitter enemies, when in reality, they're not at odds. We're all on the same team. And what team is that? 
the team of students and their families fighting for the future of our state and our nation. Kim Desitel of Grace Catholic Schools shares more. We're really proud of our relationship with Green Bay Public Schools. So we have interfaced with the public school systems and there's several that we interface with um, all the time in relationship to our title dollars, in relationship to sharing transportation, in relationship to um, looking at the calendar year with which we set and they set over the course of the year, um, in relationship sometimes even to sharing facilities. So for example, we may use their football field for a track meet in the spring, those kinds of things as well. We work really hard in making sure that our relationship with the publics is healthy, thriving, viable. Um, it is, uh, they're, they're very cordial. Um, and truly from my vantage point, we need strong public schools in Green Bay and our surrounding area, and we need strong private schools in our surrounding area. I'm a big proponent that, for example, uh, in the state of Wisconsin, um, Milwaukee Public Schools, if they're struggling, if they're not succeeding, if those children are failing, so goes Milwaukee, so goes the state of Wisconsin. We have to worry, we have to advocate, we have to look for how we can contribute to the needs of our entire state as a whole. Um, in, in the Green Bay area, so goes public school, so goes private school. And we need everyone to succeed in order to achieve for the next generation um, in our community, for our children, for our families, um, for the way in which we will ensure health, wellness, education for years and years and generations and generations to come. In Madison, Pastor Marcio and Principal Tia Sierra from Lighthouse Christian School expressed a strong desire to collaborate and have a working relationship with Madison Public Schools. And another um, uh, false idea is that voucher schools or school like, like us, like Lighthouse Christian School, that we're against public school. We're not. We actually want to work together with public school. We, we, we want to just, we're not against anyone. We're just for the children, regardless of where they are. And just for example, T and I, um, we, our son goes to a public school, you know, because he goes to high school. So there's no, um, uh, there wasn't an opportunity for a voucher school, you know, where he could go. So, um, so he goes to a public school and we love it. You know, we want public schools to, to get better, to, to be able to serve these communities. Um, but I think um, there needs to be um, a choice. You know, that's why it's called school choice. There oh yeah, we, we, have, we have met with our, our closest school, which is Falk. Um, the principal there and 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 us we've he's come here to tour we've gone there to tour we've talked about um we we've talked about advertising for joint you know events that they have events that we have so we do do some of that but even he has said to us there's just so much bureaucracy it's hard for me to even promote a lot of things um so that's kind of a stumbling block but as as two principals we're very much in tune with here's the needs of our, our students and how can we be better for this community I would love to have a better working relationship with the school district in the sense that um, you know it feels often it just feels like we're the enemy and so they don't want to work with us you know students that are coming in from other schools they might not want to share all of their information with us or you know working with the um, admin for special needs if sometimes it feels very strained so we're, we're trying our best to let them know that you know we're just here for the kids we don't have any hidden agenda we're not taking money from you <laughs> but there's still that you know sense and I think it probably comes from higher up you know in the structures that that we're not we're not good but when we relate to people on a day-to-day -day basis they you know like the people that come in for title one and for special needs like they see that we're we're here all for the same reason and that's for the kids Andrew Stith of Crystal Ray Jesuit High School says that even in Milwaukee traditional public schools and choice schools are usually trying to work together towards one common goal educating students you know I, I meet Milwaukee public school leaders in, in our work in the city and um, we all share the same concern and that's you know what's best for kids I think that as we look to do what we do in the city 
um, at, at Cristo Rey, we realized that we can't do it all. We need a variety of players at the table in order to meet the needs of so many different uh, uh, children. And, and, and what, what those children bring uh, to school every day is something that, again, I, I go back to my original point about choice. It's why it's important to have choice. It's because we, we know that one model doesn't fit everyone. Cristo Rey is not for everyone. Um, and so when I get together and I, and I talk with other public school leaders, um, you know, we talk about what's best for kids. We might disagree on approach or we might have different approaches or, you know, those things. But at the end of the day, um, you know, we share similar, many similar concerns because many of our kids are coming from, you know, similar backgrounds and neighborhoods and that kind of thing. We've talked a lot about the politics of school choice in the state of Wisconsin during part one of this episode. We hope you'll join us for part two of our final episode when we'll consider both the state and national politics around school choice, including the Trump administration's efforts to expand school choice across the country and the Obama administration's attacks on it. We also talk about a key Supreme Court case that may soon be decided. Part two of this episode will also include conversations with our friends at the Heritage Foundation, the Cato Institute, EdChoice, National School Choice Week, and the American Federation for Children. For future episodes and seasons, please subscribe to the Right Idea Podcast from No Better Friend Corp on Apple, Ricochet, Luminary, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And check us out online at www.nobetterfriendcorp.com. And be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter. We hope you'll continue to join us on the Right Idea Podcast. See you soon.